0: Hey, this is Jeb Gerald with two glasses of bourbon. I am excited, I'm super excited this week to uh, be joined by Janie Rice Brothers of Gardens of Gables. Um, quick background, I've been following Janie since, uh, goodness, we were just talking about this. Honestly, I probably four or five years, I think. I, I have to double check that and see when I first uh, added it to my RSS reader. But if you're not familiar with Gardens of Gables, it's an awesome site where Janie, uh, she but shows all these old houses. I'll tell you, uh, Janie, one of the first things how I got in- interested in Gardens of Gables was uh, you did the, the dictionary, the encyclopedia of architectural terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was so cool because I was just getting involved with the Bluegrass Trust at that point. And uh, I'm kind of a dilettante. I jump around a lot. But when I really enjoy something, I, I like to go in deep. And there are all these architectural terms that I knew nothing about. And it was about that time that you started posting, you know, uh, all the different terms, you know, I, I'm, I'm at, a, at a loss right now for a specific one. And, I, but that was really helpful for me to be able to say, oh, well, like I'm looking at a, a federal house or an Italian house or, you know, Gothic Revival or whatever that is. And I could actually pick out some of the different features, dentals or whatever that was, or my wife makes fun of me because I uh, will be walking around. We live in the, or we live in Germantown in Louisville now. And uh, we'll look at a house, and she'll point out uh, something and say, "Oh, look at the turret on that house, or look at the tower." I say, "No, that doesn't go all the way all the way to the ground." I know this, <laughs> so things like that are that was my introduction to Gardens of Gables, but
1: enough well, well, rambling on my part. Hopefully, yeah. not, I don't come across as being pedantic, but there is so much amazing vocabulary associated with architecture and architectural history. And I mean, I barely scratched the surface of this. And I have to admit, I guess I've been doing this now for almost 20 years professionally. And one of my first words that I fell in love with was fenestration. <laughs> and, you know, and I would just, I would walk around and I'd be like, oh, let me talk about the fenestration. And I would try it in different accents. And um, that's when I started, I was like, well, I'll just go through the alphabet. And I'll pick a different letter and a different term that I might use without really thinking about. Do people know what this means? And then translate it into okay. When I talk about fenestration, I'm talking about the number of openings on the wall of a house. So I'm talking about so, the numbers of doors and windows. We just like to have. I'm fancy glad you said
0: doors. that. Um, I would have had no idea what that word meant. When you say fenestration, the first thing I think of is defenestration uh, of Prague, with your head, and throwing people. Yeah, think, thinking people, out throwing people out a window. That's that's the only thing I think of. So that's actually really cool to know. I've learned something today.
1: And I don't think I've actually gotten to F yet. I've I've sort of lost track in the alphabet, along with <laughs> losing track of everything in the past year. I'm I'm not quite sure whether I'm coming or going. Um, although I'm just really not going anywhere much like most
0: people. That's the truth. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've got my second vaccine, uh, second shot. And so I'm actually starting to out to get out again. And it's really, really nice. Um, but the last year, I mean, honestly, it's been kind of a lost year in a lot of ways, but hopefully, you know, the end is in sight. We can kind of get past it sooner rather than later.
1: Well, it has been very good for the gardens side of gardens to gables. I haven't Uh actually, because we live on um, a farm. We own a farm and I am finally able to indulge my fantasies when it comes to gardening, which means in probably 30 years, I'll be cursing myself because I won't be able to maintain any of the stuff that I'm doing right now. And it's so much fun creating it. Um, So since we've been home a lot, I've been exploring that since I have not been actually out in the field and seeing as much architecture as I would like to.
0: Um, So that's a great segue. First, that sounds like a really good way to spend some time, especially, you know, it's a wonderful day out today. It's about 75 and sunny here. So I'm sure it's pretty similar there. It is beautiful. But past that, you know, you mentioned professionally, you've been doing this for 20 years and you mentioned being out in the field. Uh, What what do you do? You know, can you kind of uh, kind of tell me about that?
1: Well, my professional title would be architectural historian, although I do not have my graduate degree was in historic preservation. So and you can actually get a graduate degree in architectural history. But I went the route of what can I afford to do for graduate school? (laughs) And that was to go through the University of Kentucky's historic preservation program while I worked full time in preservation. And I actually worked my first job in preservation was for the Bluegrass Trust for historic preservation. And I worked full time and did grad school part time. And um, I think 2003, I finished up and I've worked. I have not gone back to the nonprofit world simply because I do enough of not making a profit myself. So (laughs) I have worked, I worked for the Kentucky Heritage Council, the State Historic Preservation Office. Then I spent 10 years at the University of Kentucky. And in 2019, that came, our program at the University of Kentucky was terminated. And so now I have sort of a, a bunch of different jobs right now. But basically what I do, is document historic buildings. So I do that as my day job for projects that might be Section 106, where you have to take into account the impact of an undertaking. And an undertaking is any project that involves federal funds, a permit, or a license. So like a road project, something that the transportation cabinet might do. Um, And you have to consider what impact that will have on historic resources that are eligible for or listed in the National Register of Historic Places. Now that is a whole lot of words that I just <laughs> it out. So Gardens to Gables is where I actually just get to write about buildings that I think are cool without sort of following the professional standard um, or, you know, doing a technical report to document the types of buildings or structures that might be within a given area. Um, so it's a little crazy that I actually what I love to do is what I do for my work and then it's also what I do in my spare time. But
0: there So you must really love it. I that's, do. that's what I'm
1: hearing. <laughs> my my husband is a big he lived in Alaska for several years and um, is his family is all from Wyoming. And so he loves being out West and he loves being outdoors and I love being outdoors too. I grew up on a farm. Uh, My family's been in the same spot for 200 years. We bought one of our family houses, which was a farmhouse built in 1901. But if I don't get to see some buildings every couple of days, I start to get sort of anxious. And so the idea of, you know, being out in nature is wonderful. But whenever we talk about taking trips, I'm always looking to see where is the closest inhabited place that might have a historic district or, you know, a downtown where I can go take pictures of buildings. Um, But it's just it's a way to tell the story of communities and of people, because it's the one thing that we leave behind a lot of times are the structures that we build. And mm-hmm. you can look at, you know, it just it depends. You can look at big fancy houses. You can look at small plain houses and they all have stories worth telling and worth exploring. And I don't make any money doing gardens to Gables. Um, I think there's a part of me that thinks it might lose its appeal if I actually did try to monetize it. Um, but it's just, it's a way, I mean a lot of neat people and Gosh. When I go do things for my day job, I often take detours and find places and buildings that I'll write about for my blog. So, and in answer to your, you were saying that you'd followed for a while, Gardens to Gables has been around since 2015. And prior to that, it was, I I actually had a small um, blog on Blogger on Google's hosting platform, but it was about English houses and um, country houses and gardens because I spent a couple of summers in England and it had a name that was a, well, I'm just not even going, it's not, it's not G-friend- G-rated, G so I'm not even going <laughs> to do that. But um, I, I wrote for another uh, blog for about from like 2013 to 2015 called Smitten by Britain. And when she decided to, she couldn't, the lady couldn't keep the blog going, and it was a full time. I mean, she sold ads, she made money off of it. And she asked me if I was interested in buying it. And I'm an architectural historian, I don't make a lot of money. But then one of my friends said, you know, you have all these stories about Kentucky, and you're from Kentucky, and your family has such a, a deep history here. Why don't you write about stuff that's a little bit closer to home? And I started thinking about all the reports that I had written over the years that went to sit on a desk or a filing in a filing cabinet somewhere in Frankfurt. And Mm -hmm. people never saw. And that, and all the information that's actually at the Kentucky heritage council, where I worked for four years, buildings that are no longer there. It's a, a agency that does such great work, but a lot of people don't even know that it exists and it's, records and reports don't get disseminated back out to people. Um, and uh, obviously state agencies are notoriously underfunded, especially ones that deal with the arts and heritage. But I decided that I was like, Oh, Hey, I can pay for, um, you know, a hosting service and I can do this and it's not going to cost me all that much money. And I can do my part to sort of get stories back out to people and it was really easy to do when I was working at u k because it seemed like every day u k was tearing something down, so I would just walk around <laughs> on the campus and take pictures and try to tell people you know before this parking garage was here, there was a neighborhood here, and these are the these are the people that lived here, and it was important to them, and we should remember it
0: so I'll be honest that's uh that was a fantastic answer, and now I have like twenty different questions, but I'm going to try to not jump around as much as I could on this. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned was that uh, you know you don't you aren't you aren't sure if it's going to you know continue to be uh, as popular as it has been, or you know if historic architecture is going to continue to be as popular. Um, I think it's one of the things that was really interesting to me is that it really seems like Gardens of Gables has struck an, struck a nerve with people. Um, because, you know, I I just kind of glance and you have 7,000 followers on Facebook, like 5,000 followers on Instagram. Um, it's obvious that people are, people are really interested in what you're putting out there. Um, I'm on, I'm involved with a couple or I'm a member of a couple of different Facebook groups that are, uh, you know, Kentucky history or pictures of Kentucky. And I can't tell you the number of times that one of your articles has been shared on one of those sites and they're, they're always super popular. Um, so it's it's cool to see that you know, I'm a history nerd, and obviously here are a history nerd as well. I think I could say that without being offensive. Yes. and uh, does it how does it feel does whenever you get that uh, that feedback that people are really interested in what you're putting out there?
1: Well, I mean, it's great because the whole reason I do it and and I'm not trying to make myself out to be some sort of altruistic historic preservation saint um but because i really do think it's important to tell the stories of places and the way that i see places is through their buildings because even though i mean my my undergraduate background i was an english major english and art history from center college but it was when i was did my um study abroad in england of course i have a slight england habit um that's when I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I could take my love of writing and I could use it to explore architecture. And instead of focusing primarily on big fancy houses, you know, palaces or country houses or the houses built for very wealthy individuals. And I do write about those sometimes because those are beautiful buildings, um, you know, You can look at vernacular architecture, which is the architecture of the people. And the great thing, I mean, I'm always really happy when a blog post gets shared because I usually end up getting more information back about a place or I get ideas Mm -hmm. for a follow up blog. I mean, I can't even tell you how many folders I have of, I'm going to write about this one day. Um, And one day when daycare has spots for my children. I will be able to spend a little bit more time um, writing and and following up on things. But I think from a lot of the work i do I do when I'm out going across Kentucky talking to people, it's that people like to know that what they value has value, and not just by them that people from up uh, from other places can see that. And so that's sort of um, you know, it's 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 a big circle. Blog posts get shared, I get feedback, I get more information, and it lets me hopefully tell the story of another place or of another individual.
0: I really like that phrase that uh that you said, that people wanna know that they're, what they what they value has value to other people. That's that's so cool and that's so so accurate. Um, because it's like, you know, every little town that you go to, they have their own little stories. Um, and I think what's one of the things that's cool that you do is, uh, like you said, you're not always showing, you know, everyone's seen Word Hall or, you know, mm-hmm. some of the bigger places like that. They're awesome. They, they're absolutely wonderful. But, you know, last week you shared a story of a, um, uh, a crossroads grocery store from Elliott County. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm from Carter County originally. So that's, you know, that's my neck of the woods. Uh, so, you know, when you showed, showed that, that took me back to the place that I went with my grandparents growing up, um, a little tiny, it wasn't a shack. It was a little bigger than the one you, you shared, but you know, tiny place. It was basically a one room store. I think it, they might've had a back room that it's kind of funny. Like, you know, if you go to a normal gas station now, they probably have more, <laughs> more food and drinks and everything in there, but it was just kind of, it really did take me back. And so it's, it's so cool to see that. Um, so you mentioned that people reach out with ideas, with more information, that sort of thing. Uh, have you had any interesting, uh, interactions with people from that, uh, or just cool stories? Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Um, and I, I probably won't be able to think of anything right now. I mean, one of my blog posts, and this has been a while, um, I met someone who had grown up around historic preservation his mother was um, involved in helping um, sort of save Shaker Town, uh, Shaker Village at Pleasant Hill in Mercer County, Kentucky in the 1960s. But he works for, um, his family has a demolition company now and they take down buildings. But he was really interested in helping to document them before they came down. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, everybody has to make a living and he reached out to me and said, Hey, I know about, you know, X, Y, and Z, they're going to be coming down. You know, you ought to get out there and take some pictures. And if there's any way I can help, then I will. And that was just so cool because I, you think of people who are demolishing buildings as being evil, if that doesn't sound overdramatic, but you know, again, it's just a person who, This is their livelihood. This is what they do. But it doesn't mean they don't appreciate um, what they see and uh, what they encounter. And, um, you know, I mean, I think about I've met people who. And this, you know, goes back into the gardens thing. So many people have shared plants with me because I love to garden. And most of my garden, well, it started off being just hand-me-down plants that I got from my family. And just like places and like buildings, they're heirloom plants that people attach a lot of value and sentiment to, and to be able to, you know, have a cutting from a particular shrub or some iris that somebody dug up from their home place and brought with them when they moved. It's just, it's really, really cool. Um, And it's making connections like that all over Kentucky. And even though I have been at home for the past year, again, I have a notebook full of people and contact numbers that I'm going to reach out to just as soon as I have more free time during the day. Um, So it's been, yeah, it's it's been a really great experience. I always feel bad that I can't do as much as sometimes people... Will asked, they'll be like, well, when are you going to write about this? And I'm like, well, whenever I find time, you know, cause it's like, <laughs> this, this isn't my yeah. job. And I do have to, because I actually am still working. I'm just working at, at nights and on the weekends, which is less than desirable. Um, so I squeeze my blog in during very odd times uh, and in little snippets. So, but I figure, you know, you need people... Ooh to be champions of everyday architecture. And that's sort of how I perceive myself. But at the same time, I'm not going to know anything. I know about, you know, sort of my neck of the woods. Like you were, you know, saying, you know, you're from Carter County. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Elliott County, that's the adjoining county. Um, so it's it's always helpful. People, I'm always like, please, people, just send me a message. Um, you know, and if I can be there, then I will.
0: I like that. So, you know, for people who are out there and because I know one of the things I hear all the time is I kind of alluded to this, you know, every town has their history. Every town has their old homes, old, old structures. Um, You know, something's what's the best way of, of protecting those? Is there any way, you know, because there's so many of those places that, that you've shared that again, like that grocery, you know, it looks like it's probably not being used right now. No, Is is there any way that we can, you know, if you know a place that you can protect them or that you can do anything about that? I know it's really a vague question because it's all probably situationally dependent. but um, just kind of give me some thoughts on historic preservation. I guess that might be a better way of putting it.
1: (laughs) Well, one of the first blog posts I wrote was, and I can't remember the title now, but it was basically that I'm a practical preservationist. My father is a farmer and we had on the farm where I grew up a two-story log house that was built. The first part was built in the end of the 18th century. There were three tenant houses from the 20th century and, you know, a number of barns and silos, et cetera. And then my parents built our house Um, When they moved, when they moved back to Kentucky in 1970. And over the years, I saw the tenant houses were torn down and the log house was actually uh, deconstructed and put into storage so that somebody could put it back together Mm -hmm. one day if they wanted to, or had, had the funds to do that. And I learned really quickly that unless things, unless you can use things and they have a utility, if you do not have money to burn and very few people in farming unless you're a corporate farmer have money to burn then you can't spend time and money on those structures
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's sort of even though i'd like to save everything that sort of attitude <laughs> influenced me very early on um and I, but i think the thing about mean there's a lot there's a lot of different ways I could sort of answer this or ramble on about it I think you know people have to be able to use buildings or the buildings aren't going to stick around I mean that's that's sort of the foundation of it but then again people also need to be able to look beyond and, and I always think about this when I look at real estate listings because I mean who doesn't like to drool over you know some of the things you see online, some houses. And I'm always I always get really tickled by the comments because it's like, oh my God, that paint color is horrible or look at those carpets. And I'm like, people, really, you know, those are reversible changes. Um so you always have to be able to see beyond the superficial. And then you, places have to be valued. And if you don't value where you're from or your history, or it's a history that is painful, then that connects directly to the buildings that represent that history. Um, You know, it's sort of thinking about the architecture of enslaved people in Kentucky from the antebellum period. And that from a purely academic perspective, it's very interesting to construction methods and um, where were these buildings constructed and how were they used? Were they dwellings as well as, you know, did they function sort of as uh, workspaces? for a farm. But then when you think about what they, what those buildings mean and the just, I mean, the just complete awfulness of it all, you know, really makes you step back and be like, okay, well, what do you do? How do you approach that? And, you know, does that need to be saved and does it need to be preserved in terms of actual." How do you preserve things? I mean, all preservation is local. Zoning is really the only thing that has any teeth. Obviously, the National Register does not mean that a building can't be torn down. It doesn't.
0: I think that's a really common misconception (laughs) that people assume, you know, or they'll, you know, if we're talking about Lexington specifically, if you see a BGT plaque on the front, they think, oh, it's, it's protected. I've heard people say that the BGT plaque actually made it that it was insured, even.
1: Oh, wouldn't that be so,
0: nice? <laughs> I know, right? It'd be a very cheap insurance, but I don't know. Actually, I interviewed uh, Brittany Zanz from the BGT last week, and uh, I don't know that she would be up for insuring all the houses with plaques on them. I just don't know if that's in their budget this no, year. No,
1: I don't. I, I highly doubt that. Um, and it and yeah and then that's one of those uh, misconceptions that we're loath to address sometimes because it plays in our favor. That oh you can't tear that down. Um, you know it's on it's on, it's on that historic registry. Um, but I think that uh, you know if people if, if there's something that you know sometimes you have to put your money where your mouth is in terms of preservation mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, for a lot of the small rur- rural places across Kentucky, unless private property owners want to do something and want to save it, really the only way to quote unquote save it is to document it, take its picture, mm-hmm. tell its story, talk to the people who who know the building and who know the people who were in the building because we're a state that's very heavy on property rights. And um You know, I grew up in a rural area. I'm highly familiar with that. Zoning laws are considered to be the work of the devil. Um, And, you know, so it's like, well, there's not much you can do unless you're in an urban area like Lexington or Louisville, where you have local historic districts. But those are also places that where, um, you know, you have higher property taxes. I mean, you have higher property values. So, um, you know, it's one of those things I often think about America, just overall, that we're such a young country, that it's very hard to have any perspective on history. And then you go, because you go to England, and it's just, there's no, I mean, anywhere in Europe, basically anywhere except America, I feel like sometimes, and um, there is such a wealth and a depth of history to consider that sometimes it seems overwhelming. But like I told somebody last night, on Gardens to Gable's Facebook page, they were talking about a country store that was gonna be torn down. And I was like, please, 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 please drive by it and take a picture. You know, just a picture with your phone from the car because, you know, once it's gone, it's gone forever. And that's a little piece, a little segment of that community's history that has completely
0: vanished. No, that makes, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that I've ran into. Um, you probably know it. Do you know Eric Wisman? I do. Okay. So don't hold it against me. He's one of my good buddies. <laughs> uh, like, oh, like <laughs> Yeah, he's a good dude. Um, so we're, I'm, I'm active with his, uh, with the Kentucky Trust for Historic Preservation. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we go back and forth about is, you know, what, what can we economically save? Because exactly like you're saying, um, when you're looking at some of these small communities that, you know, the house might be, you might be able to get a building or a house for next to nothing. Uh, But then when you look at what it's going to take to actually preserve it or to save it, you know, if you're saying 150, 200,000 for some of these buildings, that economically it's just so hard to justify because there's no way that that building would ever sell for 200 or 250,000. So you would even get your money back um so that's one of the issues that we run into a lot because there, are you know uh, we get calls every week that i'm sure you get with, with your visibility i'm sure you get a whole lot more that you know people want hey i want they call and they say hey i love this place i want to save it what can we do but you're it makes so much sense when you say you have to put your money where your mouth is um and for some of these so many of these small towns they just don't have There's just not enough demand to drive that at this point.
1: Right. And there's not, Uh, there's not the money. I mean, there's not,
0: no. you know, there's
1: some places that, and I'm trying to think, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and it's a town in Tennessee where this guy has moved back. He's super wealthy. And he basically has been able to pour his money into ensuring that the historic fabric of the community remains standing. And remains viable. And it's like, well, unfortunately, not every Hamlet not... community has
0: that. Carlisle actually kind of has had that to an extent. Uh, I don't know if you've been through there recently, but, um, the main block in town, they, it's, they have a really nice little downtown oh, I love and then Carlyle. a bunch of the houses that, yeah, a bunch of the, then you know, probably know what I'm talking about. A Bunch of the houses there on the courthouse square have been preserved and they look wonderful. Um, they're super cool Mm -hmm. uh it's when we're talking about a lot of those little towns especially there on the maysville turnpike uh they're they're hidden gems i mean it's interesting i think when you look at um you know you mentioned that your your husband's from out west and likes to spend time in wyoming their history out there is just even so much different than ours Mm -hmm. and I, i think we're kind of spoiled you know being west of the alleghenies we're about as early as it gets um, especially on from the Lexington to Maysville area. Uh, and so even, even though we're relatively young, we still have 200-year-old two year houses along the way. Um, whereas, you know, I lived in Arkansas for a couple of years and that, you know, those just don't ex- exist down there. Um, and so it's kind of, it kind of spoiled me. And so some of those little places that, little, you know, random towns like Carlisle, I, I think they're just so cool. Or Bardstown, I think Bardstown's a wonderful mm-hmm. place. Um, and it's just so cool. Oh, I, I'm kind of digressing, but
1: <laughs> no, that I mean, you sound you sound like me. I mean, that's you know, every time I go, um, I actually since I'm home with my kids now, we try to take little side trips, and one of my daughter's favorite trips is to go to Paris. Um, yeah. oh yeah, and we Paris, we go to, Paris we, is great. Yeah, we go to downtown Paris, and you know we'll go to a playground or a park, and then we'll walk around and we'll look at buildings and of course her favorite thing to do is to spy the trash that's on the ground and shout very loudly mommy trash um (laughs) and you know i look around and i'm I'm like oh no i'm mortified um but you know i'm we we don't litter it's very important because uh again we have a lot of road frontage on our farm and Mm -hmm. it's a favorite dumping ground for people so I'm always oh, stressing. Yes. I'm like, sure. We do not throw our trash out the window. Um you know there's so many places and I've been really lucky over the last 2 years um I do a lot of work in Eastern Kentucky. And there's so many Floyd County is one of my new favorite counties simply because it seems like every little tiny road that I go down I find another little tiny community with the surviving buildings and, you know, it's, it's equal parts sad and delightful. Um, you know, delightful that I can get out and take some pictures and I can do some research, which I love to do. And then I can share that with the world. And, and then also sad because it's like, well, what is going to be left of this place other than its story?
0: So that's interesting. You mentioned Floyd County. Uh, have you found that they're mostly mining communities, or are they just small crossroads communities because the areas are so isolated that you just wanted to have something that was close that you could you could get to and they just kind of popped up?
1: both, I think I mean the the mining communities, um, let's see, I'm trying to think I wrote I think earlier this year about drift, um, which is in Floyd County, and that was a mining community. And they tend to be uh, they, they tend to be larger. Um, because there was more of an economic engine driving them there. But a lot of little bitty places, I mean, it doesn't even have to be Eastern Kentucky. You think about how far, this is the way I think of it anyway, how far children could walk. You could expect them to walk, to go to school, and that's about two miles. Um, And if you look at an old topo map, like a pre nineteen. Well, pre 1960 topo map because they revised them, and you see all the little flags across the quad that signify schools. And you can almost sort of measure out every two to three miles, there would be another little crossroads community or hamlet with another school. And so services just tended to pop up for how long, you know, and obviously, if you, there was always going to town, which would be going into the county mm-hmm. seat or the, or the nearest, you know, sort of urban place. But, um, you know, I just, and I love those little places because it's, you know, we don't live in that sort of world anymore. Um, And that's one thing, you know, I I always, I'm always wish that uh, we had a little country store close by and, um, you know, unfortunately all I've got is Kroger.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, At least you have, if you're gonna have to have something, Kroger's not too bad. You have a pretty good selection. Right, right. you know, you don't go to the country store for the selection of the prices. You go there because of the community and because of the uh, just because the experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing better than going into a country store, getting a bottle of soda, and just you know, that's all I really needed. Um, The one I grew up near was, uh, or my grandparents lived near, um, they had the best turkey sandwiches. Mm. And realistically, they were probably just I mean normal white bread turkey sandwiches, but you know, as a little kid, I thought they were the best things in the world. Um, and, you know, I also, so in Carter County, we have a bunch of, just like you're talking about, um, kind of dead, desolate communities. There's a, uh, we have Enterprise and Soldier, and uh, there's a third one. I'm having a loton. Loton's the third one. Uh, and so, you know, around the turn of the last century, they were all really big because they had clay mines. They were big in the fire brick and, uh, making world. But now, if you drive through there, just like you're talking about, you can see maybe a couple structures, not much of anything. But it's it's so interesting when you see, and when you read the history of the area and you realize you know, the train ran through here. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty major stop um, because, you know, Hundreds of of men were in uh, were employed at the brickyards there, and it, it's interesting to see you know how uh, how the population changes because fire brick went out there, and then that was you know nineteen twenties to forties that time frame, which kind of coincided with the uh, the migrate the mass migration up into Ohio mm-hmm. uh, from Eastern Kentucky up Route twenty three, and so it's just. Sorry, I'm completely getting away from uh, houses. But it, it's just really interesting how that happens. And you see, like, I mean, even with my own family, you have all all the extended family that's up in Ohio that they still trace their roots down here. They, they still consider themselves, you know, natively to be Kentuckians. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, life's interesting. It's And so when you're talking about, you know, the vernacular architecture, too, that kind of brings it up that I always think it's kind of cool to be able to see um, one of the games that Eric and I play is if we're out driving around and we see an old house that you can obviously tell has been built in uh, several different uh, sections, it's so cool to see, okay, well, there, there's an original three bay that was there, maybe, it's a, uh, maybe it was a, a clap, clapboard-sided uh, log pen. And then how did they add that on? And it kind of makes me wonder, you know, why was that done? Mm -hmm. And what was going on in the world at that time that, you know, what was going on in their family? You know, how was life? Uh, Maybe they had more kids, maybe they became more prosperous. I know you talked about that a lot that you'll see the, uh, the original cabins, I guess, were built by farmers. They lived there for several years. And then as they got more prosperous, they would add clapboard to the sides build onto the house and you could actually kind of trace, is that a fair way to put it? Oh, no, you could kind of trace their the economic situation.
1: Right. I mean, I think, and one of the, just a funny story from when I got done with graduate school and I moved um, to Pennsylvania and started doing deed research that took me back to William Penn. And I realized, I was oh, like, wow. oh, I was like, I'm from a very young place. Um, You know, just in comparison (laughs) to that area. But it was so difficult because we, you know, you don't ever go inside when you're doing that sort of work. You're always just looking at the outside of houses and trying to infer what did this person do for a living? What were they able to afford? What, you know, and, and just like you're saying, you can see how the you know, for for better or worse, the the people that owned it, sort of the arc of their lives and how that played out, how that manifested in sort of the physical structure that they called home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're able to go inside a house, I mean, to me, there's nothing more fascinating than, you know, changes in floor plans because that tells you so much. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, I'm just, I often tell myself, I'm like, I'm very, very lucky because not everyone gets to do what they love for a living. Um, And there's just so many different ways you can look at historic architecture and go in so many, you know, the social aspect, the economic aspect, reading the landscape. I mean, especially in rural Kentucky, you know, nothing unless... Well, not even, I was going to say, not even if you're in, in, in Butchertown or Phoenix Hill or Germantown in Louisville, nothing is di- um, divorced from the actual physical landscape. You know, creeks, the street grid, um, rivers, all that. And so there's just so many different pieces. It's like a seven layer cake and there's so many delicious layers and it's just always so fun. I'm, I'm, I'm always astounded by how little I know. And that just makes me excited <laughs> because there's so much more to learn.
0: So, have you ever been driving in the middle of nowhere? And I'm sure this, I'm sure this has happened. So, but and you see a house and you just think, how did they get that get here? You know, like either style wise or size yeah. or just you know, what do you have any examples of that, or any kind of stories about that?
1: Um, I mean, you know, most of the time. You know, now my first reaction is I always want to go back and look at a map. Like I mentioned the topo maps before, because Mm -hmm. those really are a testament to whatever was there when the map makers, the cartographers came through the first time around. But, you know, and I'm I'm trying to think, yeah, there's actually one um, in Casey County I went out and I wrote a, I wrote a blog post about this and it was one of the earliest houses in the county. It's a brick house, hall parlor house. And, you know, in the middle of nowhere. um, And there was a early 20th century house near it. And of course you have to think about, you know, you had to have, depending on the size of your family and what you were trying to do, you had to have a lot of acreage. And the other remnants of the agricultural community had sort of disappeared by that point. Um, But I always think that's the most striking thing when you see, you know, especially, and they do tend to be masonry because those types of buildings survive longer than the frame or the log. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're all that's left of a way of life. And so whenever I see something like that, I'm like, Oh, There was a lot of other stuff around here at one time. Um, Or even if there wasn't, it wasn't immediately visible. There was a network that we can't see. And I think about, you know, my house was built in 1901 by my great-grandmother's first cousin. And I can see the road from where I'm sitting right now, actually. And the reason this house was built here is because between 1878 and 1901 I still haven't figured out when the road was moved so it came because most roads followed the creeks because that was the easiest way you know you would travel the creek bed when it was dry um or go along the creek and they moved the road up on the ridge on the top of the hill and they named they named our house bell air for its its sweet air and uh but, you know, from my porch, I can see a house built in 1844 by my great, great, great grandfather. And if I go to the back of our farm is where the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad once ran through our farm. And there was a depot that's been torn down and there's another house. And, and you see what I'm saying? It's, it's this whole, um, there are all these stories embedded in the landscape. If you don't know them and you don't know what to look for, then it can seem really alien and disjointed. And of course, this is a landscape I'm very familiar with because I grew up here and I I grew up hearing all the stories. Um, so I guess in a in a way, to me, you know, what I see might look very different from what most people might see when they drive by.
0: I like that, uh, and it's kind of cool that. We are a part of something so much bigger. Um, when you talk about your family property and you know that you've, your family's been around there for generations, it, it's interesting. It's kind of cool to think you know you're raising your kids on that same property, and hopefully, or you know they might be doing the exact same thing in 20 years. Um, and it's so cool to think you know. It's also makes makes me feel personally really small to think that you know, yeah, I'm living in this house now. This is my house, but I have a different outlook on it when I think someone won't always be my house. Mm-hmm. I, I'm almost more of a caretaker than I am an owner, if that makes sense. Um, it just, it kind of puts things in perspective that we're just here for a time, but if, if everything's treated right, you know, all of these uh, structures will out, will survive us and they'll go on and we'll just be a part of their story. Right. Right. And you know, if you, if you're
1: able to plant a tree, plant a tree. Because uh, it might it might outlast the house, so that's that's sort of what I think. I'm like, well, it makes you feel a little bit better about your own mortality, and and like you say, how insi- insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things. But you know, I always go back to the whole you know layers of history, and um, you know we're lucky enough to participate in it. And I try to you know make my own little role is as interesting and as fun and positive
0: as possible. And I'm, I like
1: that. lots, lots of chocolate and tea help with that.
0: And, and the occasional glass of wine yeah, or bourbon. Yeah. You know. <laughs> this, this is two glasses of bourbon. So I should probably say bourbon. Yeah. that's but.
1: yeah. After, after the children go to bed. And then that's when mommy and daddy are like, Oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> Let's have a cocktail. I, I have one six month old, so I, I don't have quite as many. I have half as many children as you do, but. I, I definitely feel like I've earned my, earned my drink at the end of the night. I'll just say. That.
1: Oh, now you totally um, do with that
0: age. It's, but you know, it's so much fun. I won't, I won't go into that too much right now because I no, no this one, not what the podcast listeners are tuning in for, but uh, let me just ask you, and we'll, we'll talk more offline, but where do you see uh, Gardens and Gables going? You know, I, it, it's seems like it's grown fantastically. Um, uh, I'll be honest. I think people are going to stay interested in this. I think it's interesting that I look at my generation. I'm 31, uh, and I see that a lot of my, you know, colleagues, friends, peers, they're they're only getting more interested in their in their culture and their history. Uh, when you look at even places like Kentucky for Kentucky and and all that, I think that people are putting a lot of emphasis on where they're from, what their cultural heritage is, and, and just pride of place. Um, so I don't think you have to worry about people not being interested. I think is you have a pretty captive audience that's, that's excited about whatever you put out, but you know, in a perfect world, what, where is uh, gardens and gables going to be in the next five years? In a
1: perfect world, someone with lots and lots of money would agree to be my patron and pay me (laughs) a salary, not exorbitant, but enough so that I could do gardens to Gables full time. And I could travel around collecting stories and photographs and sharing those with people since that's probably not going to happen. And I don't think that we're going to win the lottery, even though my husband you know, does, does buy a ticket occasionally. Um, I do have uh, in August, I'm supposed to meet with, um, with my editor at IU Press for a book that I signed a contract for, I think, two years ago now. Um, historic houses of Kentucky. The pandemic put that on hold because you can't okay. really go, um, you know, can't really show up at people's houses and go inside. <laughs> uh, all this is going yeah. on, so uh, we'll be meeting in August to discuss that project. Hopefully, it will be going forward, and um, that's something I'm really excited about because I can, you know, my Gardens to Gables is my own personal little fun project where I can espouse my philosophy and share what I think is interesting and important and not to trivialize the impact of things on the web, because social media is very, very powerful. I think we all know that we've seen its uh, impacts, but to be able to have a book that presents not just again, high style Kentucky architecture But the vernacular architecture of Kentucky over, um, you know, I'm sort of looking at doing this from the early 1800s up through the 1960s, sort of, you know, what was happening in Kentucky and what were people living in? You know, what sort of houses were being built? What sort of styles were Kentuckians taking and modifying Mm -hmm. to meet their own taste and um, means? So, you know, I hope I continue to uh, hear from people and meet interesting people, even if it's only uh, online right now, um, that will tell me stories about where they're from. And, um, you know, again, one of these days, I'd I'd love for it to, uh, you know, to be my full-time job, but that's, uh, I'm I'm not so good with trying to think about how to make money. On something like this, my husband keeps telling me he's like, "I'll be your manager, I'll do it," and he just wants me to be, you know, his sugar mama. Um, (laughs) And I'm sort of like, I don't think you understand what architectural historians. I mean, you know, we're not lawyers, we're not doctors, and people are always shocked when they ask me how much it costs to do a National Register nomination. And I'm like, you know, it depends on the property, but sometimes that's sort of like a mini thesis. And mm-hmm. I, I mean that's basically a book, and I'm like it, it'll be this much, and you would have thought that I ran over their dog, and it's like, and I'm one of the cheaper people around because I enjoy what I do. I don't see a need to charge. I, I had to charge enough to to get by. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I want to keep doing it, keep seeing cool places, um, you know, and and have the time to be able to share that with um, anybody who's interested. And so. You know, if there is someone out there listening that, you know, I really only need, I mean, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars after taxes, you know, a year. Um, and if, if you wanna, you know, pay me that so I can do gardens to gables, that would be
0: great. I you know I think there are probably ways you could you can make that work. Um one single donor, maybe not, but <laughs> You know, Patreon, stuff like that, an insider list of some sort. I, I Honestly, I legitimately think it might be pretty possible. You, you have the following there. It wouldn't surprise me if you can make that work. Uh, but that's a, com- a conversation for another day. Uh, but we're kind of winding down now. I just want to thank you so much for joining me. Um, if people want to find your work, where can they find it?
1: Um, well, online at gardens2gables.com, and that's all one word that's my website. And then of course, Gardens to Gables is on Instagram and Facebook and occasionally Twitter. Um, But lots, lots of pictures and lots of stories whenever I'm able to post them. And and thanks so much. This has been fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Janie, thank you for your time and uh, I'll catch you next. All right. Catch you another time. All right. Thanks. Have a
1: good one.